energy is powerful. It's all around us, mysterious, full of potential. Directing positive healing energy to raise your vibrational rate through Reiki can change your life. Reiki master Loretta Brown has relieved stress, sadness, anger, and even helped clients lose weight, stop smoking, and end sleep disorders. Worldwide, people have sought out Reiki Oasis. If you want help with your dis-ease, visit ReikiOasis.com. Harness life's energy. Visit ReikiOasis.com today. Good morning. Hello and welcome to the original Loretta Brown Show radio to open the heart, heal the soul, and awaken the consciousness. I am the owner of Reiki Oasis forever and ever and a day, Benny. <laughs> I like that forever and ever Thank and a you. day. Yeah. It's very it was smooth, written in the stars, smooth. right? Of course it is. It's it is. You know it is. I know it is. <laughs> Um, I, I actually came up with the name. I knew I was going to open a business called the Oasis when I was headed to go to Saudi Arabia to live for eight to nine years. I know it took a long time to manifest itself. It's a long story. Some other day, right? <laughs> Would you ever go back? Um, I have been back to visit. Mm -hmm. It has changed a lot. It's really grown up. Yeah. Um, I would say that I would not go back to live. Got it. Okay. I like it here. I like it. As we like you here too. That's Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very, very much. <laughs> and um, just for those people listening, I want to say happy Thanksgiving to everybody. And I hope you're enjoying time with your loved ones. The world is treating you with blessings and goodness. I can smell your food from here. It smells delicious. Absolutely delicious. So be sure and enjoy the day with family. And astrology for this week, on November 22nd, the sun entered the fire sign of Sagittarius, represented by the arrow of the archer. The arrow will eventually land where it's supposed to. It's really about the journey, as they say. We may have goals and dreams, but if we're miserable as we're getting there, it might be time to adjust our approach. <laughs> Don't be miserable on the journey. It's, it's, there's a lot of wisdom in the journey. With the sun moving out of the water sign of Scorpio and into the fire sign of Sagittarius, we may also feel a lightness emerging or the inspiration to learn new things. And on Wednesday, November 23rd, we had a beautiful Sagittarius new moon. That's the dark of the moon. You can't see it. This new moon carries a beautiful light energy, perfect for manifesting, attracting abundance and focusing on the positive side or the silver lining. This really is a lovely new moon. The energies are amazing. It's refreshing. Um, and you you know, new moons are a great time to set intentions to say, okay, what, what do I want to plant? What do I want to grow? And what is it that's inspiring me in my life? What do I, what does my heart really want to do? On Wednesday, November 23rd, Jupiter went direct after being retrograde since July, moving from Aries back into Pisces. This is the last time Jupiter will spend time in Pisces for the next 12 years. So take advantage of it. Jupiter is the planet of luck, sometimes called the lucky star. Sometimes it's called the big daddy, you know, <laughs> who your daddy, right? <laughs> what do you need? What goodness do you need? <laughs> Thanks, Betty. As Jupiter wraps up its journey in Pisces, we may begin to feel the culmination of our lessons. And Jupiter and Pisces could help expand our creativity and 
our connection to God, to the divine, to spirit. This would be a great time to honor any expansion or growth when it comes to your spiritual connection and your creativity. It's a great time to celebrate with your families. It's a great time to take some big breaths. Maybe there's been a lot going on. Take a moment out of everything just to renew yourself. And it's probably a great time to read my guest's book called Resurrection. My guest today is Paul Selig. He's an award-winning author, speaker, spiritual medium, psychic, and one of the foremost challengers of today. We're going to be discussing Paul's new, new book, Resurrection, book one, the Manifestation Trilogy, a channeled text. Born in New York City, Paul had a spiritual experience in 1987 that left him with a unique gift to channel the voice of the guides. And his book, Resurrection, is composed of their raw, unedited words, as spoken by Paul. In it, he shares the new manifestation of humanity, a vision of alteration and elevation that will shift how we think and move through the world. Paul, thank you so much for being on my show today. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So um, how's Hawaii, Paul? How's Lily? I love it. It's good. I, I live in the rainforest, but it's sunny right now, so I'm 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 quite happy about that. That's great. Yeah, that's really great. Um, I want you to give a little bit of background. I know that you've been on my show before. I love having you on my show. I always feel this beautiful energy. Um, but for my listeners who may not know who you are, mm -hmm. um, how did you get into all of this channeling? A little bit of history about you. Sure. Well, I, you know, I wasn't looking to do it. I wasn't somebody who necessarily believed in channeling or put a lot of stock in it. Um, I was raised something of an atheist when I was 25. I hit a bit of a wall, and I, I began praying for the first time, um, and I actually heard a voice, uh, and I listened to what the voice said, and my life started to change. So that was the very beginning of it. I studied a form of energy healing when I was maybe 30 or so. Um, I was a college teacher through all this time. I wasn't doing this work publicly, but I found that when I had my hands on people's bodies, I began to hear things for them that started being proven out again and again and again. And that was really my opening to channel. And I had a group that met in my apartment in New York City, which is where I lived in those days, for about 18 years and was doing this very under the radar. And in about 2009, I guess it was, the guides said, we have a book to write, and if you take two weeks, we'll do it. And that was the first of, now there are 10 books in print, Resurrection is the 10th, and there's another that they've completed dictation on and the first book took i think two weeks of sittings they take about a month now i think because i take by 30 days of sittings or so over the course of a month or two because i don't work every day but that's how this happened it wasn't expected i didn't want to be a channel um and i seem to just have this facility to work as a radio for this consciousness that comes through me and instructs I'm so I'm actually really fascinated by that. So you actually you were you were speaking to the guides. And so I got to ask you this question. Maybe it's mm -hmm. obvious. So you talk to them all the time. But when they're ready to do a book, they let you know. Well, the first book, yeah, actually, the first few books there was like that. Um, 
the first book, I heard, we have a book to write, and if you take two weeks, we'll do it. And I had just gotten fired from a, a job, and I, was, I went to bed. I was still teaching college. My academic life was good. But I wasn't expecting it, and suddenly I had time to do this, and my ego had just been sort of quashed, so I didn't really care what happened. Uh-huh. I just agreed uh-huh. to do it, and there was, you know, I would, uh, all of the books now are done publicly, so there's some prearrangement that happens, which means I'm doing them, you know, in front of live audiences or in front of, you know, a group online, you know, that's convened. But um, because now there are book contracts, I I agree, and the guides agree to however many books in the series, and and then we you know that the time is allotted. They'll generally tell me when they plan on starting, and once in a while they'll just start. I'll be doing a workshop in front of you know 100 people or so, and they'll give a lecture and say, and this is the introduction to the next book, and then we're off and running, and they'll just keep dictating, dictating, dictating on the book until they say that the book is complete. Wow. Um, I I have asked you that before, but I, it kind of blows me away a little bit. So you're just... You're just uh, listening to them and then yeah, yeah. there's no writing yeah. involved at all. I mean, yeah. my name is on the cover. You know, I'm a collaborator. I'm interrupting the channeling, and the channeling is coming through me and utilizing my my voice and my vocabulary at times. Although they use words that I don't always know, we have to look them up afterwards. There was one book where I refused to say the word that they were saying because I didn't think it was a real word. And um, we all looked it up afterwards. It was in front of an audience. Somebody pulled their phone out and looked up the word, and it's in the book um, as a footnote. This is the word they were they were speaking about. But yeah, there, and there's no editing. I think maybe three words in a text get changed because I mispronounced or it was coming so fast I stumbled over the word. So that was the deal from the very beginning with the publishers um, that you know I couldn't go back and fix it and make it pretty. Because my feeling is it's not my book to go back and revise. You know, it's the guide's book, and this is how it comes forth. And and that's the end of it, you know. So really, my job is, 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 is akin to being like the stenographer in a courtroom. I'm there taking dictation, period. That's my job. When I'm working as a channel, when I work psychically, then I'm allowed, then I'm interpreting, and, and, and I'm much more involved because I'm looking at moving parts and listening to different people. You know, if I'm reading for you, I may be hearing you. And if you want to know what's going on with your cousin, I can step into your cousin and hear your cousin. So that's how my um, ability of, of Claire, Claire audience operates. Uh, uh, yeah. Th- uh, yeah. Thank you for that clarification, because mm-hmm. you do more than just channel what the guides say. Um, yeah. You mm-hmm. step into people. Yeah. 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 Um, when you are, well, let me ask you this question. Um, mm-hmm. How how has channeling these books changed your life? I mean, <laughs> how has it changed you? Like the... I mean, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Different, yeah. you know? I mean, I'm still Paul. I'm not a spiritual teacher. I'm not a guru. I don't, I'm not enlightened. I don't walk around saying I am. Um, I have this odd skill set, and I am a student of the guide's teachings, not always the best, best student, but I am a student of the teachings, and my life is completely different. Um, you know, I left my academic life maybe, I don't know, six, seven years ago now, and um, 
and and am doing this work full time. And I was doing this work while I was an academic, but you know everything's different. I, I'm I'm not the same man that I was, and I'm I like who I am or appreciate. That's probably a better word. Who I have become in a real way because I'm having a life now that I didn't know that I could have. Much of my life was, I think, very worried, very frightened, and um, I did this work you know, as much as I could and for as long as I could while sort of hiding out. I had a website without my name on it or my photograph for for a while because I really didn't, you know, if you wanted an appointment with me, you had to know somebody. It was like a speakeasy. And I've had to step out more, you know, with these books, and I mm. enjoy the work that I do. I'm fascinated by it. I may never fully understand it. I really may never totally understand what's going on here. I just know that it's very consistent and it happens and the teachings that come through continue to build and I still continue to benefit from these teachings. I have to integrate them, which is often a challenge. It means letting go of who I think I am or what I want or who I think I'm supposed to be. But the life that I've been given is not a life that I would have even known to choose. And I'm so grateful for what I've been given now. I can't tell you. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that. Um, I'm thinking while you're talking, you know, this book, Resurrection, is book mm -hmm. one of a trilogy, you know, the Manifestation yeah. Trilogy. Um, would you say that you <laughs> manifested your life? Or do you want to talk about that a little bit? Because... The other thing is that, you know, the guides talk an awful lot about harmony and accord and mm -hmm. things like that. And so, yeah, just jump in there. I know you know what I'm asking. Well, I, I, think, I, I yeah. think I can answer this. Um, the guides say everything we see in our world, pers our personal lives and our, the larger world, we're in vibrational accord with. So nowadays people think, well, I'm going to manifest this or manifest that as if, that's something that one gets and that the universe is some sort of catalog to be ordering from. The challenge with that is, is that much of what we're ordering is what we think we're supposed to have to make ourselves happy in the way we think we're supposed to be happy, which is generally prescribed by culture. You know, I should look like this. I should have that. I should have this kind of career in order to be who I think I'm supposed to be. And the guides say that, you know, the work that they're doing is about aligning us to, they call it the true self, which is not, it just means it's just not the personality structure that thinks all the time. It's the aspect of us that actually knows. They say the true self knows, the small self thinks. And they help us move to a level of alignment where we're in vibrational accord to what our real requirements are, not just what we think. And that's what's really altered things. So you see, we're always manifesting our lives. It's just that's all happening through our expectations. The guides I work with say we're always getting what we expect, like it or not. And I hate hearing that, but it's true. I think it's true. And when I look at the areas of my life where I feel stuck, I am expecting that. I'm expecting to see what I've always had. And that's um, what they're working with with us on in this trilogy. They say you move to a level of vibrational accord. They'll say A-C-C-O-R-D or A-C-H-O-R-D is on a piano, which is resonance, 
we move to a level of resonance where we're calling to ourselves without effort what we truly require. You see, so they say, you know, we're, we're assuming that source or God, whatever you want to call it, doesn't know what we need. But of course it does. And we have free will and we have to be in accord and we are in choice. But I think the game of grabbing and getting, which is, I think, what many of us get stuck with. How am I going to get what I want? Where is it? Why isn't the universe giving me what I say I should have? We miss the piece that we really have to move into a level of alignment or accord with those things. And I'm finding more and more that if I can move to a level of alignment where I'm trusting that what is coming to me is what I require, I move into a flow or a a place of receptivity. A lot of this teaching is about learning to receive, you know, trusting that we can receive what is our good. The guides talk about it as claiming our true inheritance, you know, and, and I believe that that's the case. Yeah, moving into accord or mm-hmm. trusting what is coming is what what you need or require. Um, so in these teachings from the guides, mm-hmm. um, if we are not in accord, how do we get into accord? Well, we're always in accord with something. And there's an yeah. aspect of us. There's my doggy going. There's an aspect of us that, you know, is always in what the guides call the upper room. The aspect of you who knows who you truly are beyond the personality structure is there and is operative. So they're teaching us how to align to that aspect of self as much as anything else. It's already there. You're not inventing it. Um, it's an aspect of us that in most ways have been, has been denied. When I was maybe in my early 30s and I was opening up to here, I I heard this thing, and I'm 90% sure I heard it in channeling because I wrote it down because I didn't understand it. And I was unhappy at the time, and I heard freedom will come when the throne relinquishes its king. And I thought, what the does that mean? Right. But I understand it now. Basically, who's running the show? What aspect of the self is calling into manifestation a life and a world? And so moving into accord is primarily about allowance. All of the books work with vibrational attunements that support people in claiming a higher level of resonance that makes these things possible. And most of this stuff is experiential. I would actually say all of this stuff. And what I like about the work that the guides do is you can feel it and you can experience it. It's not conjecture. And it's certainly not an intellectual teaching. It's really a teaching of of a vibration. The guides say that the books are energetic attunements that work directly with the reader, you know, to support them in a higher alignment. And that's been my experience and the experience of, of I would suspect, most of the readers, if not all. Yeah, I actually really like what you said, and I appreciate it. Um, um when I have attended your events um, and or when I read your books, mm-hmm. um, there is such an energy to it. And, and, and even in a language, like I can, I'm, I'm getting it from you just by being here with you, where there's this, there is an energetic attunement to it. Mm-hmm. There, it, it. You can feel it. And um, this experience is it's a little hard for me to define. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, 
and also I'm, I'm going to say this too i've also had this experience where i read a section of your book and then i go i'm having a question the question is answered mm-hmm. like yeah yeah. yeah, can you just talk about that a little bit? I'm sure I'm not alone in that. No, you're not. I mean, the guide said yeah. it was in one of the books, maybe the, the early on, um, in the first five or so. They said to the reader, you know, if you're having a question as you're reading, ask it and we'll answer it in the text. Because as we're dictating the book through Paul, we're also with you as you're reading it because we're not bound by time and space as you understand them. And people have been reporting this from the beginning. You know, I'm on page five, and they answer the tech question on page six. And then there are people that go back to the books after a break, and they say it's an entirely different book. It's like they'd never read it before. They're having a whole other experience with it. So I understand this, that this is what people say. Um, You know, in the review, when the first book came out, nobody knew who I was. And, you know, I wasn't on a circuit, and I wasn't doing any press. There was no press for the first book. And um, when the reviews started coming on on Amazon, it was interesting because people were writing these things saying, you know, I'm reading this book and my body's vibrating. I'm reading this book and I'm seeing auras. I'm reading this book. My favorite was I'm reading this book and my husband is changing. Um, But people (laughs) were sort of having these experiences with these texts, and that's continued. And, you know, I think it's as true with with the written text, the printed text, and the audio books. You know, I have people that are listening to the audiobooks in their car and they have to pull over to the side of the road because the energy gets intense, you know, and they just have to sit with it. So, yeah, yeah your experience isn't unique. And, um, you know, the guides say that the language that they work with is imprinted or encoded, that's their word, with vibration. And that the intellectual book, the words and the page are there to provide a context for the reader for the real experience, which is the energetic transmission. And that energetic transmission, yeah, I, uh, like I say, I don't have words for that. Um, mm-hmm. When the guides speak of being made new, mm-hmm. what do they mean? Well, it's one of the attunements in the, in the books, and they've been working with this in the last couple of texts, and they, 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 they use the language, behold, I make all things new. And they say the monad or the true self or Some people would call it the Christ within, you know, that aspect of all of us is the one that creates and makes all things new. So when we're operating at a higher level of awareness, they actually say that how you perceive anything from that vantage point transforms what you encounter. So... In other words, God, if you want to use that word, God sees God in all of its creations. So being made new is actually being reclaimed or renown in a higher way. It's not that you're not who you are. Perhaps it's not who you thought you were, which is a bit different, you know. So my understanding of these claims is that they're teachings of co-resonance. So if if I'm operating at a level of vibration or tone, what I encounter is then informed by that. It's, this is about presence and being. You know, it's about letting the work happen through you. In some ways, the guides say you become a portal or a conduit to what they call the upper room when you're working with these attunements and you're operating at this level of vibration. 
So a very simple way to understand this is, you know, what you damn damns you back, which they say all the time, and what you bless blesses you in return. And the idea of damning something, they say, means that you're putting something outside of God or source or the divine. The guides say the only real problem humanity faces now is what they call the denial of the divine. Now, they say who you put in darkness or what you damn calls you to that darkness, so you align to the negativity that you've claimed another in. The same thing is true with blessing. And now we hear people say, oh, I'm, you know, blessings and prayers to, you know, the victims. That's not what they're talking about at all. They're saying a blessing is the realization of the inherent presence of the divine where it has been denied, which reclaims the thing, which re-knows the thing, which makes it new. And that's what they teach, and they teach how this is done, you know, in their text. So it's no chemical teaching, but it is a teaching of being the light. And they say you can't be the light and hold another in darkness. It's not possible. And those who say they're doing it, it's hypocrisy. You know, you um, share, and I, I think this is from the guides, this analogy of climbing a mountain to a cave. Yeah. Can you share yeah, yeah, that? Yeah, that yeah. was in one of the books. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, they say, you know, it was, in, it was in, I think, the book of Mastery. And, you know, the metaphor for that book was climbing a mountain. And, you know, at one point they took the readers, you know, on their little journey and they say, okay, now you're encountering a cave. And you go into that cave and in that cave is the one person you never want to see again as long as you live. <laughs> but your opportunity now or your challenge now is to bring that person out of the cave. They say you put that person in that darkness. They have called you to them there. And now you take them out. And in, in releasing them from that darkness, you're actually releasing yourself. It's a very simple teaching. It doesn't mean you have to go out to dinner with them. You know what I mean? It's not about liking people. Liking is a personality construct. There are people I don't like very much, you know, and I prefer coffee to tea. I like coffee. You know, it's not nothing wrong. It doesn't make tea wrong. It just means I have a preference otherwise. But the idea of forgiveness, which is you know, a challenge for a lot of us is a challenge for me some of the time, but really is about releasing myself from the entrapment that I've created, you know, pulling myself out of the snare of unforgiveness. Um, you know, and I don't think this is a new teaching. I mean, that's, the, you know, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's not about making somebody right or condoning bad behavior. It's about getting unhooked from my attachment to the negativity, which I'm claiming another in. Where, where do we, or how do we deal with things like um, judgment or self-righteousness or? Yeah, good. That's a good question. Yeah. Judgment, the guides yeah. say, you know, self-righteousness is always the small self, the personality self. That's, it's really simple. So when we're, we're on our high horse, for the most part, you can sort of, I can assume for myself when I go there that I'm operating at the level of personality. And this idea that I have to be right at the, at, at the cost of somebody else being wrong, it goes back to this kind of, you know, dualistic thinking. The guides say what is true is always true. Um, it's not always true that you and I are speaking, but it's true, I suspect, that, that at this moment in this idea of history and time, on this date, you and I are speaking, and that's always the case. You know, on this morning, you and I are, are chatting. 
So people, I think, have a tendency to make their opinions their truth. People now say, my truth is, my truth is. And I think it's fine to have your perspective and your opinion and your belief systems, but that doesn't make it universally true. And when you begin to move beyond the subjective, you begin to move to a kind of realization of what exists beyond separation. And, you know, the, 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 the action of separation, you know, person against person, you know, what, whichever way you want to sort of depict that conflict, it tends to be, I think, an evocation of our belief that we're separate from our source. The guides have said, you know, your belief that you're separate from the one beside you has, has finally culminated in the belief that you're separate from your source. And you're not. It's just not true. So we have the subjective reality of separation, and the guides are teaching us how to move beyond that. I think that message is so important. I, I'm thinking about the world at large, right? Mm -hmm, yeah. And there's so much divisiveness and all kinds of things going on, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, but I think we're getting, I've been told, I hope it's true, it's kind of the last hurrah for fear and separation, you know, and we're in a time yeah. of radical, radical change that I don't get is going to be slowing down from in any time soon. And I think how we choose to ride this wave of change is, isn't somewhat up to us, you know, because I, I think in times of growth, things aren't what we want them to be and aren't what they were yesterday. And, and our attachment to the way things should be gets at times in the way of what might be revealed to us in a new way you know somebody asked me recently you know was this like apocalyptic and you know the answer really is if you know if you look at how a seed breaks through the earth when it's seeking to be grown you know seeking to grow it it dislodges the earth it moves the earth around it i don't know if growth is ever terribly graceful or maybe in some cases it is but sometimes it's not and i think that's where we sit now yeah. We have to see what we've created, I think, and what we've been party to in fear and in separation in order to move beyond it. We have to look, you know, and we're being asked to look at what we've done. And I think we're the ones. We're the ones who we're the ones who make bombs. We're the ones who make wars. We're the ones who are divisive. We're the ones who say, my God is the only God. We're the ones who do those things at the cost of somebody else being wrong. And the guides have always said the action of fear is to claim more fear. And every choice we make in fear gets us more of the same. And separation, you know, as they teach it, is, is fear. It's not separating one egg from the other in the carton so they don't break. That's discernment. It's not judgment. That's prudence, you know. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really hearing you. Um... I'm thinking about what you were saying that, you know, this being in accord with something like mm -hmm. we do have to take a look at the world around us. You know, the guides, the guides say, you know, you know, in your, in your book, you say, wh what are you, what you are living is what you agreed to live. So in this book, the book resurrection, what, what does resurrection mean? I think it's the resurrection of the divine self or the monad or the spark of God within all of us. And that part of us, they say, is there, has always been there, but has been denied. And so the awakening of this aspect of us, I think, has been their work since they began teaching through me, you know. Um, mm -hmm. 
And to operate in a resurrected state is to operate as the true self. It's to become who you truly are beyond who you thought you were or beyond what you believed you could be. So this is not a teaching of divinizing the personality. And it's not a teaching of, look at me, I am God. It's a teaching of of being of source and knowing that and also knowing that you cannot claim this if you're denying it in another and when you begin to operate at this level in a real in a realized state the, the energy is amazing and they say a world is made new by by nature of your presence and being you're claiming a new world into being through that level of alignment and you're supporting everybody else in doing the same not through proselytizing but through vibrational or energetic accord yeah, I, I pulled something out of your book where the guides say things are being altered by your presence. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But imagine, you know, you're in yeah. a room where there a bell is rung, you know, and the tone of the bell moves through you. It's kind of like that. You know, when the guides begin teaching this, this stuff, how matter is transformed I was really surprised by it because they would, um, they would, this was in live events, they'd break people up into twos and they'd work with the attunements and then they'd have them claim the divine as form. And I, I, like, I know what you are in truth as, and what meaning the manifestation of the divine. And they invited the student to feel the energy that would return to them. And there were waves of energy coming back, kind of like, you know, the peal of a bell or like sonar, these waves of energy would come back. And it was the first illustration that I ever had in a really tangible way of what you bless blesses you in return because you could feel it. Because that claim, I know who you are in truth, I know what you are in truth, I know how you serve in truth, which the guides have been teaching for a long time now, actually have uh, a quality of texture and tone that can be felt in a palpable way. And I think that's important because I don't want anybody to defer to me and what I think. I want people to have their own experience with this stuff, whatever it is. Yeah, um, I'm thinking when you're talking because, yeah, I've experienced that at one of your um, uh, gatherings, one of your talks mm -hmm. years ago in Seattle, um, mm -hmm. standing and, and saying that to one side of the room and then and receiving back from that. Mm -hmm. I, I love that analogy of the bell. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, what we bless, yeah, it comes back to us, doesn't it? So in this idea of a new world, right, or shifting our world, mm -hmm. we are instrumental. Oh, thanks, guides. Instrumental. <laughs> Instruments. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, we are. Yeah. We are. We're the bell that's wrong, or, you know, the, you know, the guides you know, talk about this as singing, you know, we're, we're singing in a higher octave. They say that the world that we know, or our experience of the world, at least, is in an octave. An octave is a series of notes. And they say any piece of music can be sung in a higher tone, in a higher octave. Any piece of music can be played. And in a lot of ways, I think what they're doing is they're working with the idea of transposition, you know, retuning us so that we can sing in this higher way and then call to us what's in vibrational accord at that level. Yeah. 
at that level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very well said. So it, we look at the world around us. So let's say that um, our world is not as we want it to be, right? Mm -hmm. Like we've got problems or, you know, living level of life yeah. stuff. So this shift, so how do we make this transposition? Well, it's about lifting what you encounter to the okay. higher or claiming the presence of the divine where it's been denied. And again, that can't be a platitude. It's got to be realized. It's a level of realization. This is how I understand it. You know, they say that we think we're, we're so entrenched in this belief that we have to fix things. And there's a difference between fixing and transforming or renewing something, knowing something in, a, in, in truth in a different way. So there's a lot of teachings on this in the books. I mean, they used to say you can't lift the evil man to the upper room to the higher level of consciousness because you have made him evil, which really means you've aligned to that human being at that level. You know, you, you're, you're focusing on the negative. And so the challenge is usually to claim the divine where it seems not to be present or where you can't imagine it could be. But they say, again, who you put in darkness, what you put in darkness calls you to the darkness. So it really is a teaching, I think, of reseeing and renewing and also a teaching of responsibility to these things. Because, you know, if I say I don't like this thing that I see, know that you're in vibrational accord to it anyway. You know, it's in the common field. We're all informing this thing with the consciousness that we hold. You know, I don't know. I, I always forget the scientist name who did those experiments with water, you know. And, um, you know. Emoto. Yeah, it's the same principle. But if I want to continue to to blame and to shame and to make wrong, I can do that. But I don't know finally if that's going to support the change that I'm hoping for, which is a recreation or a reseeing. Some things perhaps will fall away because they can't be lifted. You know, the guides say we have been at war for so long as a species hmm. that we expect it. We can't imagine a world without it. Consequently, we would continue to replicate it again and again and again. And we'll continue to do that until we realize that there's no win here. You know, they've said that we build bombs in the belief that they're going to keep us safe, which is the most ridiculous thing they've ever heard. They said yeah. bombs are meant to go off, and eventually they will unless you change. So the idea of lifting to a level of consciousness where war isn't an option, because war is uh, born in a need, it's born in greed and polarity and division and separation and fear and all those things. When you move to a level of consciousness where you're not operating from those places, it becomes obsolete. It falls away, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's how I understand this. Yeah, yeah, I like that explanation. Yeah, where war isn't an option. I think some of us can't even imagine such a thing, but yeah, mm -hmm. there it is. Yeah. Um, I think you're already answering this question. What does it mean to be in the world, but not of it? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if they've talked about this. I, I guess they have. To be in the world, but not of it means that I am having a physical experience here. I'm not eschewing or denying my personalities and my preference and all those things. But I'm also living in an awareness of source and the presence of source and who and what I experience. Mm -hmm. 
So I'm still here in a body, you know, having the experiences of one in a body and one in a life, and I still pay my bills. You know, perhaps the difference is I also know that the source is, you know, beyond what I would call my job or that the body is another way that form expresses itself and that the energy of form will always be present in one way or another. So it's I think it means having an awareness of being in source and of source while maintaining a life here on this in this world. Yeah. So we've we've you've you've touched on the upper room. Um for those people who may not be familiar with that, what is the upper room? They said that the upper room is the octave above the one that we're knowing ourselves in. So it's the next octave up, it's the next frequency up. They've called it Christ consciousness, an awareness of the divine. They've also said that the upper room is the highest we can go to while maintaining form. But they talk about the upper room as well as sort of the entryway to what they call the kingdom. And they say the kingdom is operating in the awareness of the inherent divine in all manifestation. I'm not there yet. But I've had <laughs> glimpses of it, I have to say, small ones, but they're they're real where, you know, you're just aware of the presence of source. So, you know, the upper room, they say, is a place that we can go to. And you have to understand that there's a part of us that's already there. We're not inventing it. We're moving to that level where the God within expresses. And then we're allowing that God within to reclaim us and to be an expression as it. That's really, it's really kind of that simple, I think. Yeah. And anybody can access the upper room? <laughs> That's my yeah. understanding, yeah. I mean, but there's, yeah. there's there are caveats, you know. I can't. You know, I mean, I can't go, I'm in the upper room and damn those people over there and I hope they burn in hell. It's just, it's hypocrisy. It's not going to work. So yeah. what's going to happen if you want to do this stuff is you're going to have to face your stuff. You're going to have to look at your stuff. I'm having to still, and I expect I probably always will be, but it's getting easier, I have to say, you know, yeah. um, we don't get to drag our dirty laundry up to the upper room. We have to deal with it. You know, we have to deal with our stuff, and um, and that's part of the process. I think people want this to be sort of spiritual bypassing, and look at me, I'm holy. Well, yeah, you are holy. Everybody's holy. We've just denied it. But also, you know, if you're lying to everybody, you've got to be accountable to that, because the guides say there's never been a lie told that wasn't told in fear. And the action mm. of fear is to create more fear. So, you know, we, we have to become responsible for how we choose at the level that we can. You know, I'm not a saint and I'm, I'm not a guru, but I'm another schmo on this path, you know, and I'm helped by this. I do know that. And I'm hopeful that it's helpful to other people. Otherwise, I don't think I could show up for the teachings as I do. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. You know, anybody can go because, you know, God cannot be absent from anybody. That's my understanding. You know, it's yeah. impossible. It's source. It can't be absent. We can deny it, but it's not absent. Yeah. Um, who or what is God, according to the guides? 
oh, I don't know that I can do this without channeling them, and I don't know that I'm going to oh. channel here. Um, okay. God is sure. source, finally. I mean, it, 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 God is love, but then I believe is an aspect of God or a way that God can be known. But finally, they call it like the one-note song. They say there is one note sung in the entire universe. They call it the word. And that, that, that one note sung is in manifestation, is everything seen and unseen. So all things are source, just operating at different levels of, of tone, of vibration. Tone and the reconciliation vibration. to that one note sung, I think, is, is their teaching. Yeah, thank you. That was a good answer. Um, I want to just uh, quote something from the introduction to your new book, and it kind of, you've kind of touched on all of this. It says, we stand before you today in preparation for your work, for your capability and great capacity to be renowned, to be rendered anew. Each of you here has chosen at one level or another that the lives you have lived may be altered renown and sung in a higher tone a higher key mm -hmm. yep that's the teaching that's the teaching mm -hmm. yeah that's definitely the teaching um you you have done 10 11 books i don't know you've <laughs> you're still going what would you say is the overriding message or information from the guides I don't know. I mean, it would be my guess right now. And it, sure. it really depends on how I'm seeing the teachings or my experience with it. Okay. I would say that the God within seeks realization as and through us. I think it's that simple. And that it can be so and it will be so. That's yeah. the action of the divine spark is to ignite and express as all of us. Yeah. I think that's I think that's a great synopsis. Um, uh, one more question, or maybe two, mm -hmm. right? In this book, you talk about reconciliation. What is reconciliation? That which has, I think, been put aside or cast aside, being reclaimed or renown. Okay. You know, the guides say, you know, if you've got a body in the basement, it's going to stick up the house eventually. So you've got to deal <laughs> with it, you know. So I think we're reclaiming the aspects of ourselves that have been uh, put aside. And that does, and, and so they can be integrated or, or lifted or released, you know. I think there's a difference between suppressing something and releasing something, allowing it to be made new, to, rent, to be rendered new. But I, I'm assuming that. I think there's a whole chapter on reclamation in that book. I've, I've channeled another one since, so I don't remember everything in Resurrection because... The new teachings just keep piling on. <laughs> yeah, well, I, for one, am grateful for those teachings and grateful that you're willing to be that antenna for us, that channel. <sighs> Sorry Thank for you. the dog. Yeah, now Lily can be on. She's fine. Yeah. Um, okay. Any last comments? And where can people find out more about you and your book? Um, my website is my name, paulselig.com. Um, there's lots of information on I do live workshops. I do online workshops where the guides are teaching. And um, you, the books you can find at any major bookseller, you know, online or in a store. And, um, and that's about it, I think. I'm, I'm, I'm discoverable through the website. You are, yeah, you are very discoverable. I'm just going to let people know that there, you do offer a lot of things, and people, it's well worth people's time to find out more about Paul Selig, find him. 
Um, any last uh, words for the audience? I hear trust, 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 trust is what I'm being told. Trust, trust, trust. Well, maybe that's just for me, but that's what I'm hearing to say. So I just said it. Trust, that was the last word. That's the last word. Thank you. I needed that word too. So thank you so much, everybody. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Paul Selig, from my heart tears, thank you. Thank you for having me. Eternally grateful. Yeah, I know. Did you know that Reiki healing can be done at a distance? It's true. So let Reiki Oasis focus powerful energy to help relieve your stress, grief, sadness, anger, and so much more. Convenient, personalized treatments at a distance can increase lightness of being. During your appointment, find a quiet place to lie down or sit to receive healing energies. If you want help with your dis-ease, visit ReikiOasis.com. Harness life's energy. Visit ReikiOasis.com today.